So you're fed up with your job. You and your coworkers are being treated unfairly and you decide it's time to do something about it. You wanna organize at your workplace. For app-based platform workers though, these questions can be really complicated. For one thing, there is no central workplace. Gig work is isolating by design. So what do we do? This is where our show begins today. This is My Boss is a Robot, a podcast about platform work from the Solidarity Center. I'm Shauna Bader-Blau. I'm the executive director at the Solidarity Center. This is part two of our toolkit episode, where we'll try to cover the topics we missed with John J. Chan and Joshua Mehta, two organizers on the ground in the Philippines. Today, we take the bird's eye approach with two of our stellar organizers within the Solidarity Center. Sarah McKenzie is our Director of Program Strategy and Innovation and has 29 years of experience in the labor movement. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, Shauna. Andrew Tillett-Sachs serves as the Solidarity Center's Trade Union Strengthening Director and has experience organizing workers in both the U.S. and around the globe. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Hi, Shauna. Thanks for having me. Why does this work matter to both of you? Why should anyone care? After COVID, we saw a massive increase, right, in uh, platform-based work, app-based work. You know, when we think about the future of work, that's where we see it headed, right? And if we're going to make sure that workers' rights are upheld and that we continue to create decent workplaces, we've got to care, right? We've got to care about where the work is going and where the workers are. I completely agree with uh, Sarah. This is a tactic being used by employers specifically to disempower workers and to try to break and prevent worker organization. If the labor movement doesn't figure out how to organize platform workers in mass, it's going to spell bad consequences for the entire labor movement, platform and non-platform. Right. I think employers will continue to shift more and more towards this organization work if they think it's a way to avoid uh, having to be accountable to their workers, a way to avoid labor unions. And so I think in, in terms of trying to build the whole global labor movement, it's really the nut that uh, the global labor movement has to crack. All right. So the stakes are extremely high, it sounds like. So let's just figure this out together. What do we do? Like, what are the first steps in organizing? You're a platform worker, you're working in pick any country, bunch of you together, uh, you're facing terrible working conditions. What are the first main phases of organizing? What we've seen from watching workers organize in the platform sector around the world is that they're using some of the tried and true tactics of organizing workers in the labor movement. And they're also innovating with some new tactics. One of the tactics organizing-wise that's been very successful is surveying workers. So in terms of trying to start an organizing campaign, doing the survey of the workers you're trying to organize is a very ineffective tactic to do two things. It gives you a sense of what the workers are concerned about, the working condition, which is really essential. You have to really know what issues they care about because those are the things they're going to fight about. It's an organizing maxim. So you have to identify what they are. One of the first steps I've seen in platform organizing that's somewhat new is the need to set up channels of communication. 
because typically workers talk at the workplace. They're next to each other. They're in the same building oftentimes, or at least in the same hub. With platform workers and app-based workers, that's often not the case. And so you have to, as a foundation, set up some way to communicate with a big group of people. In Thailand, delivery workers set up a Facebook page that ended up getting 35,000 followers. And so they could communicate in mass, whatever they wanted to. In other countries, you know, they oftentimes set up WhatsApp groups, Telegram, Signal groups, some way that you can start the conversation. And that becomes the foundation to build upon, to build real organization. That's a really necessary first step. But going off of what Andrew said, though, when you look at traditional organizing, right, that contact, worker-to-worker contact, talking to each other, they may do it differently than we do in some of our traditional organizing, but it's got to happen, that relationship building. Because I was always wondering about this as we started organizing platform workers, whether or not they really needed to see each other or is online good enough. At least what I'm seeing more and more is they do build the relationship, may start online, but they do want to see each other. And they do gather. Based on platform workers organizing in other parts of the world, what seem to be some of the other most important elements to success? But also we have to educate folks about this, right? Educating people about their rights. But what's important about that is people can see, okay, these are the rights that we have now. What do we want to change? Um, How do we change laws? And in doing that, um, being able to also educate the broader uh, community around them, right? Because they've got to get support for the legislation and for their, their campaign. And, and Andrew, like, what do people typically get wrong? There's a lot of mobilizing and not necessarily enough organizing. These initial groups get formed, whether it's a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group. And then the employers, as they tend to do, inevitably do something to piss all the workers off. Usually in this sector, it's changed the algorithm. So it's a wage cut. And people are upset and they call a protest. And they can mobilize quite a few workers through these communications channels that they've set up. And they'll get big protests, you know, anywhere from 200 to 1,000 workers. The problem is the, the stuff that's often skipped is building a real organizing structure. And so what happens is after the protest, things kind of dissipate whether that's because the employer retaliates or it's just difficult to keep people together without a structure. And so one of the most fundamental pieces of an organizing campaign is identifying your leaders and then building your committee, a committee that covers as much of the workplace as you can with a real structure. And by structure, I mean, you've got a leader who's responsible for 10 workers here, another leader who's recruited and responsible for 10 workers there. And so ideally, you should build out that tree, that organizing tree that makes the real backbone and the real kind of structure to the unit. If you have that, when the employer retaliates, you can stay strong. If you have that, after you do one action, you can call a meeting amongst all the workers and make the next plan. Too many people, workers and organizers, have bought into the company's myth that somehow this workplace is so different that we can't necessarily build a real organizing structure like that. And I don't think it's actually true. The Philippines are building very methodical committee structures. Workers in Nigeria are building very methodical committee structures. 
Sarah, you've, you've been doing this for 30 years. How do workers build this committee, identify leaders, start to take action without getting exposed? How do they do it privately? And what does that look like? Workers go to other workers that they trust, right? Every workplace um, has their own kind of structure already of the people you go to for things, right? The people that everybody listens to. And those are the people that we identify to really be on those committees. You know, these are the people who can say, yeah, I know 10 people. I even know 20 people who I can reach out to, right? And is there a need to be private or does it not matter? Oh, I think it matters, especially when you know that you're working with a company that's not saying I'll be neutral, right? They don't want workers to have the power to weigh in on how it's running. Staying underground is very, very important because the second companies find out, they start pulling workers into captive audience meetings. They start uh, really bearing down with the, all kinds of different intimidation tactics. But in this sector, what I've seen a little bit, managers and employers actually have a little bit less intrusive presence in the day-to-day -day work. Workers don't usually talk to a manager or an employer. They just do it all through the end. There's actually more space to talk openly about the organized. And I haven't actually seen too many campaigns get stopped because the employers start retaliating early and it sends kind of shivers through the organizing campaign like you see in other workplaces. And I think unions and workers want to be careful about when they do their first action because you want to appear strong to other workers. You want to appear strong to the employer so that they retaliate a little bit less. So we don't have to be like a secret underground cell or organizing in the same way we might in other more typical workplaces. Maybe talk us through that first action uh, where you're showing strength, showing strength to who? Do we use the media? Using social media is incredibly effective from what I've seen in terms of communicating to other workers. App-based workers are on their phones and on social media a lot. Form a Facebook page. If you broadcast the actions onto social media, that has a lot of impact in terms of inspiring other workers to see that, hey, people are fighting about the same issues that I care about. Whoa, there's a lot of them. This thing might actually have a chance we could get involved. I find social media in platform of organizing to be really effective, particularly in the organizing aspect. And more traditional media is where the employers get really pissed off. And so broadcasting those in the traditional media, getting, you know, real press coverage of it, puts pressure publicly on the employers. And I think they really, really hate it. Um, and it's not particularly difficult to get media coverage on these companies because everybody uses these apps. Everybody gets delivery. Everybody takes app-based taxis and cars. So there's generally a thirst to cover them. All right. So, Sarah, when you think back on your decades of organizing experience, tell me about a time when workers did everything right. They built their committees. They built their activism among the workers. They kept it pretty tight. And then they came out publicly in some form for the first time. Tell me about something like that. 
I did a lot of healthcare organizing and um, I was organizing this one hospital where, you know, we were able to build the committee. There were so many issues in this hospital. We were able to build the committee. The committee decided that they were going to come out. All the committee signed the, the usual uh, letter to the management asking to be recognized as a union. And then they made these signs. And in the middle of the day, they walked down and they did it right before lunch so they can get the majority of the people looking and other people can join in. And, um, and they took a long walk around the hospital and they walked down to, their, uh, to the management's office. And the manager was actually in the office and would not let his secretary let them in. And so the workers didn't leave. Other workers joined them when they were walking. And so it just gave the sense of the workers had a lot of power. And then when the workers went in, they saw that the manager was scared to meet with them. That got them hyped even more. They didn't leave. And so finally the manager came out and they handed him the letter and he wouldn't take it. He's like, I'm not touching that. And it was, they were like, it's just a piece of paper. It's the power that they felt, you know, was, it was amazing. And when they walked out, they were just, they literally walked out in front of the hospital and they were just really rejoicing. It was, it was, it was amazing to watch them come out of there. A good first action going public. You got two main goals. You want to show the employer that you're strong and back off, don't retaliate. And you want to show other workers that you're strong to give them some courage to join. And so there was a very good you know, first action amongst delivery riders in Thailand a couple of years ago. The most important thing is to have a big amount of workers themselves. They're delivering their demands. There's something about that face-to-face -face confrontation that is really emboldening for workers to see. It's really the first time that people have collectively in most workplaces stood up to their employer. And that power dynamic oftentimes has changed forever. And so intentionally to inspire the coworkers and to scare the employer as well, we tried to bring as many uh, folks from other organizations as well, other unions, other writers from other companies, political figures, other NGOs to show the company, hey, these guys are not alone in this fight. I do want to say though, there's actually quite a few, what we would call wildcat actions in the sector, right? Workers in, in whether they're work stoppages or protest, you see them popping up amongst drivers, delivery workers, other platform uh, app-based workers. So my sense is that's not actually the main challenge. The main challenge is turning those actions into lasting organization that can grow over time and that over time can really fight to improve the working conditions. And so I think it's that transition from a group of rightfully pissed off workers into an organization that has revenue stream, that has a structure with elected leaders, has bylaws, has participation amongst all of the rank and file members. That's the step that doesn't get taken in too many places. And so you asked before, Sean, about what are the pitfalls? There's this trend in the sector to not want to form traditional units. And I think that's fine. I don't think it really matters what you call it, a union, an association, a collective. But what is important is that you've got some real structure to the organization. And so usually what that looks like is you build a team of what we call an organizing committee. 
And each member of that organizing committee has a specific assignment and it differs by workplace. That way, when you need to mobilize people for an action, because the company's just changed the algorithm and given a wage, you've got a reliable systematic structure in place that you can do so. For example, delivery riders, I'll talk to them and I'll say, hey, how could we systematically break down who talks to who or whose assignment um, is what? Because it's not the same as a hotel or it's not the same as a garden factory. Hotels, they do it by department. So housekeeper, the kitchen, the front desk. You have a committee person, at least one for each one of them. What I've seen amongst delivery riders is they do it by rest stop. So typically riders rest at the same stop. And there's like 10 to 20 of them. So you want to re you want to first identify where they all are in an area. And then you need to recruit one committee leader for each one who takes responsibility for that stuff. But you got to talk to them and then really use their knowledge of the workplace about how they should divide it up. They'll know how best to do it. But the basic idea stays the same. You've got leaders assigned to different parts of the workforce so we can have collective action, collective meetings, and really move like a unit. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of fights, a lot of different actions, a lot of meetings to actually change this sector. Well, that, that's really the issue, right? Like this sector is new and there isn't a long history of institutions defending workers, working class people in this sector compared to, you know, Sarah's example of healthcare organizing. So where do workers go to get information about how to organize in this sector? I mean, is there, is there information online? In most countries around the world, there are worker organizations who are trying to drive it. And so if you are a worker in the set and you want to organize, I would bet that there's probably a worker organization who's pretty savvy at organizing, has got a lot of experience, who's trying to at least poke around and start organizing in the do a little bit of research, try to get in touch with your local organization that is working on this. I would also add that, you know, if you just want like basics of organizing also, you can go to either the Global Union Federations or International Trade Union Confederation. And more importantly, yes, the Solidarity Center, right? Because we're actually on the ground in these various countries, literally getting on the phone and calling us. And we're able to, you know, help you with those things. So we've got all different phone numbers in the more than 30 countries we've worked in. <laughs> you really have to just look for the Solidarity Center in that country. Or you can go online to our website at solidaritycenter.org and, um, and you could see which countries we're actually working in. So, Sarah, folks anywhere in the world could find the local Solidarity Center office and reach out. Are there other ways that folks can get in touch with us? Yes, they could call our D.C. office. The number is 202-1-202-974-8383. And um, if you're in another country, on another continent, time zone differences, uh, you can definitely leave like a message for us and we'll get back in touch with you. Or better yet, you can just email us at information at solidaritycenter.org. And um, that's probably the best way. And we'll uh, get back in touch with you and connect you with our local office. To close, what advice would you give riders and platform workers who want to organize together for better working conditions? Union organizing is really not a lot about expertise. It's about having a group of workers who have courage, 
and a willingness to really fight. And if you have that, you can win and you can fight as big of an employer as Inditex or Zara or in the platform sector, some of these other organizations like Uber. So my advice from this story to workers, anybody, platform workers listening to this is don't worry if you don't have experience. Don't worry if you don't consider yourself an expert and don't be intimidated by that. Expertise is not the main ingredient of a successful organizing camp. It's having a group of workers who have courage and a commitment to do the organizing themselves. And if you have that, and you combine that with some collective action, you can form a union and you can win concrete improvements at the job. So one of the most powerful things I ever did was go to Bangladesh uh, right about one year after the terrible industrial disaster, industrial homicide of the Rana Plaza building collapse. And we met directly with workers right around that collapsed building. About I was there about a year later, and workers were still visiting the site. And I met this woman, and she said to me, I was a union organizer before Rana Plaza. And when I walked in my neighborhood, people looked down on me. They said I shouldn't be doing that work in the evening because I'm female. And they criticized my family. And my family was even embarrassed. After Rana Plaza, everyone in our community knows that it was the, the unions after that disaster who pointed out that workers that day had to walk into the building because their employer said, if you don't come in today, you're not going to be paid for a month. And nobody cannot get paid for a month in Bangladesh on those low salaries at the time. And so workers went into the factory and they died. 1,100 people died that day. And she said, and now that we've made that public, and I say I'm a union organizer, people look up to me, my family is proud of me, my community lifts me up, and those men at the company that used to tell me that I was cute, insult me because I was female, they now have to sit across the table from me and bargain over wages and working conditions. I'll never forget that. The world tells low-wage people that they don't have power, they don't have voice, they're not equal citizens, they can't make change, and people can absorb that over the course of their life. But through a union organizing campaign, like people see that that's just not true, and it transforms them and their lives, it transforms the workplace, it transforms the community, and that's what can lead to more democracy and more fairness in a society. When we fight change the only thing we're guaranteed to change is ourselves. And in union struggles, that's absolutely true. I've been a part of union struggles that won CBAs and union recognition. I've been a part of a lot of union struggles that have. But the one thing that's coming across all of them is when workers stand up to try to win a voice on the job and some respect, they're reclaiming their own dignity, right? Like in a non-union workplace, you have to be subservient, you have to be submissive. Um, oftentimes worse than that, you have to get denigrated by your employer, let's be honest. When workers start to say, no, we're not going to take it, they really are reclaiming their own dignity as human beings. And whether you win a CBA or not, once, but even if you don't, the employer can't take that away from us. And so I think it's, it's important for workers to have the mindset that 
The employers don't get to decide when we're a union. The government and the law doesn't get to decide when we're a union. We decide as workers when we're a union. And we're coming together to demand respect and demand that we get listened to as equals. If we take that approach over time, we're going to win. We're going to lose some of the battles along the way, but we have to keep fighting with these nasty um, platform corporations. And over time, workers do have the power. Workers do have the courage to win. When you're in that room with workers, whether they win their union or they win a collective bargaining agreement, that's fair. The feeling of all of that coming together, people are happy. But the atmosphere in the room, it's like no other. Like you feel the power and there's nothing like it. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen when people take their power back and collectively. Thanks to our special guests from the Solidarity Center, Sarah McKenzie and Andrew Tillett-Sachs. I'm Shauna Bader-Blau, Executive Director at the Solidarity Center. This is the last episode of our series, My Boss is a Robot a podcast about the gig economy and the rise of the apps. Be sure to check out the other five episodes on this same platform. And thanks for listening.